monumental sports and entertainment along with PressBox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And a very pleasant good uh, morning to each and every one of you in our listening audience on this Saturday, January 6th, 1952. Excuse me, January 6th, <laughs> 2018. I start thinking about something else because this is uh, my birthday. Yeah, yeah. And I, I see got, what you did there, huh? Uh, well, I was doing that, but I, what, what was really on my mind was thinking of my uh, brother-in-arms who is absent today. Right. Craig Heist. Uh, Craig called me this morning uh, very upset. Uh, his brother passed away mm-hmm. overnight, and uh, Craig will not be in here today. Uh, but, uh, Craig, uh, you're a good friend. You have been for close to 30 years, I guess, 25 to 30 years. Uh, my thoughts are with you. Uh, it's always very tough to lose a, uh, a relative. And uh, so far in the new year, I've got three folks that I uh, have relationships with that have lost people near and dear to them. So um, uh, same that's, here. that's a very high number for the first six days of the year. But my mind was thinking, well, I want to wish myself a happy birthday. And then I was thinking of mortality and somehow uttered out January 6, 1952, because that was the year I was born. Now, Stan, do you want us to sing happy birthday to you with the second verse of how old are you, or would you want to avoid that? Uh, I'd like to avoid that at all costs, <laughs> I think we'll stick. I think we'll stick to talking baseball. <laughs> but what I'm trying to do, let's see if I can figure this out here. Oh, you're going to try and share the stream I'm at Facebook.com? I'm going to try and share the scre- stream, but it, as luck would have it, something is – there we go. I think I've got it together. I'm getting so many – it's unbelievable how many – uh, birthday wishes you get on Facebook when you yeah, have it, this it, many friends. It's like absolutely unbelievable. All right, we get it, Stan. You have a lot of friends, all right? We get it. We get it. We all get right. It. Yeah. Well, no, it, it, I'm old. That's why you have a lot of friends. You're old. <laughs> well, these days it sends you notifications every day about birthdays, so enjoy all the notifications while you got it. I, I, <laughs> I will do that. I've got some people sending in stuff. It's amazing how many different people. It's going to probably be a record for me this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, how is, uh, first of all, Happy New Year to you. You too. When last we spoke, it was 2017. and We uh, haven't talked since last year, Stan. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a long time. <laughs> I'm going to miss you, by the way. You know, I know we're not best besties, yeah. but uh, you've become a good friend. Uh, I know you got some excitement ahead of you in the next couple of weeks. What's it looking like uh, as to when you're heading down to what's it, Lexington? Lexington, yes, Virginia? Lexington, Virginia. Okay. A town of just seven thousand people. Wow, it's so odd. But um, be, we, you'll get to work faster in the yeah. morning than you do now. <laughs> Whoopee! No, um, we. Because, and by the way, interrupting you, but you just took a position. Yeah. Uh, in the broadcast department of Washington and Lee. Yeah, University. sports broadcasting assistant, probably going to do play-by-play for most of their sports. So it's a very exciting opportunity. It's nice to have it. You know, it's been like six months since I graduated from Towson. So, you know, I was very surprised that it was that quick that I was able to find a job. But you got to start somewhere, I guess. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, Washington and Lee, our loss here on the bat around is Washington and Lee's gain. I know you'll do a super job in uh 
your first real job out in the in the world. Now, sitting behind you, hiding, let's let her peek her head right in the in the camera shot. Is going to be apparently, uh, and we can't see her still. No, she's here. She's here. No, but we can't see her on the camera. The Facebook stream has like a 10-second delay. Oh, okay. Anyway, it's <laughs> Brittany Everett. And Brittany, uh, if you can lean your head in there, you uh, are you accepting this position? I am accepting this position. All right. We just hired. excited. We just hired somebody on air there, Brittany, Brittany <laughs> Everett, also a student at Towson University. In the sports broadcast department, correct? Yes, I'm a senior at Towson, mass communications major, and very interested in sports. All right. Let me give you one tip. If you're going to talk, you have to be closer to the mic. Thanks, Bonza. <laughs> That's right. That's Learning right. the ways today. But it's interesting. I was talking to you before Bonza got here. You're, one of your ideas, what you'd like to do, you would love to do baseball play-by-play. I would love to do pace- baseball play-by-play. There yeah. are very few women that I've ever heard do baseball play-by-play. I mean, what's better than baseball, Stan? Uh, not much as far as uh, – so this job – She knows what's up. This, this job kind of suits you. Yes, You it like does. it. All it right. You, are you an Orioles fan? Are you I'm from Baltimore? I'm a Joe's fan, yeah. I've yeah. been here all my life, so. Yeah. Disappointing uh, offseason so far. Would we agree on that? Yeah, definitely. All right. <laughs> she says that with a heavy heart. Who's your, who's your favorite player? Oh, man. Well, I loved Nick Marcakis before he left. Um, Manny Machado, your favorite now? Yeah, Manny Machado is a good one. Yeah, he's pretty much everybody's favorite around here. Yeah. And he's about to make the big bucks. Let's take a quick poll here between the three of us. Do you think Manny Machado, do we think Manny Machado will be in the Orioles opening day lineup? If you do, raise your hand. I don't. Well, I, if anything, I really if, if he was going to get traded, I thought he would already have been traded by now. Right. I think the um, I think as as the off season unfolds, I think watch three teams: the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Cubs. And I think Dan Duquette is hopeful of maybe gaining some type of or getting some type of little bidding war between the teams that will feel that they can afford to sign Machado if they give up three players or four players for him. Did you mention the Cubs? Yeah, I think the Cubs are very much in the... Uh, You're talking about the shortstop position, are you? Yeah, with the Cubs, I'm talking about the shortstop right. position. The Yankees would be third base, right? and the Red Sox could be third base or shortstop, most likely shortstop because I think Xander Bogarts would be part of any Red Sox trade to the Orioles. Oh, really? You yeah. think he'd be traded? I uh, hmm. d- certainly do. I didn't yeah. even think about that because yeah. he plays. Uh, he plays shortstop, shortstop for the D- Red Sox. Devers is playing third right now. Although there are questions about Devers' defense, right? So there's thought that with uh, first base open, they could move Devers either to designated hitter, Devers, or to Devers. <laughs> uh, just like Craig Heist, he's always correcting Hechevaria. me. Hechevaria. Yeah. <laughs> Hechevaria. Hechevaria. A Hechevaria. There you go. Uh, and there's thought that uh, Dever, Devers yes. could play either first base or designate hit. I believe that they can. the Yankees could get him because the Yankees don't really have a top-notch third baseman. I don't think they got Frazier back yet. So. Well, they don't have Frazier signed, and they're, they're, I doubt that they're going Here, – here's the interesting thing with the Yankees is remember the trade they made in 16 with the Cubs – when they traded Araldus Chapman, right. they got Glaber Torres. Mm-hmm. Torres, who's a shortstop by trade, would most likely move to third base. Now, if they mm. got Machado, 
they'll move Torres to Torres second. Torres to second base yes. uh, because Gregorius isn't going anywhere. So He's really been solid. If Torres does go to third base, who fills that second base void? Well, that's a good that's a good question. With a lineup that the with the lineup the Yankees have, there's a number of options still out there. I mean, from guys like Ryan Goins, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, they could go really cheap, or there's still some second. They could go. Uh, what's the former Pirate second baseman, Neil Walker? Right, right, right. You know, right they right. could From do the something well, like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Kinsler has been traded, mm-hmm. so he's out of the mix. But uh, they could go Alcides Escobar, the shortstop. With the, the Royals, Royals could yeah. come in and play second. Uh, but I think they'll be looking. I th- it's interesting if I had to predict. Probably where Machado will land, I would think he ends up a Yankee. Eventually, for sure. And Torres ends up at second base over there. That's why I think the Cubs are the number two possibility because the Cubs have not the ideal uh, trade return that the Orioles would be looking for, which would include these two near-ready starting pitchers, but they have enough value in the trade that you'd have a hard time walking away from Machado for Addison Russell, Mike Montgomery. I mean, that would really change what the Orioles are about. Now, when it comes to the Yankees, are they still trying to get Garrett Cole? How, what's the update on their trade rumors? Yeah, well, the Pirates are holding out for as much as they can get. Mm-hmm. Uh, Garrett Cole is somebody that, you know, if worse comes to worse, they will go into the season with Garrett Cole. But, you know... They're, they're sort of touching base with a lot of teams on anything of value that they have because they're, they're sort of in a rebuild. They're further along. They're more admitting what they have to do than the Orioles are admitting what they have to do. So they're looking to trade Andrew McCutcheon right now. Mm-hmm. The Giants and the Mets have been the two teams identif- most closely identified with McCutcheon. I think he ends up a San Francisco Giant. Uh, and Man, I think that's the case. The Giants have made Giants two big acquisitions. And they needed to because yeah. their offense last year was pathetic, mm-hmm. really pathetic. I just, you know, I look at the NBA, and a lot of decisions are dependent by the players now in terms of where they want to go. And they usually go to a team that's already good. I'm wondering. Well, I, I wrote a column right after Kevin Durant signed with Golden State. Right. And I said, this is the, this is the contract that should really send shivers up and down the Orioles' spines because it wasn't really about the money. There there comes a certain time in pro sports now where I think Peter Angelos is playing with the old playbook where he's thinking, well, it's all about the money, and I'll come up with the amount of money necessary to sign Manny Machado. Not the case. I think it's gone way past the money now. I think it's Manny Machado would like a chance – every year to play for a team that can win the championship. championship. Yep. And And, um, Kevin Durant, how'd that work in his first year? First year won the championship. And I think he got finals MVP. So was it first year or second year? Actually first year Cleveland beat them. No first year with the Warriors. Durant was it won the championship. Okay. Um, But I'm thinking like with the Yankees. Last year was the first year. Right. That's right. Okay. Um, The Yankees, you look at last year, what a year with who they had, that young team. And then, yeah, they lost Joe Girardi, obviously, but then they got Aaron Boone, who's a guy who has a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. And now they got Giancarlo Stanton. You would think Manny Machado would go there. That's a very stacked roster. Stacked. You imagine... Stacked. 
That might be one of the murderer's rows of modern time. Exactly. If Bird turns out to be a 30-plus home run guy, 90, 100 RBI guy, you'd have Bird, Gregorius, who bats cleanup for that team, Machado, Torres, who's a great prospect, and then you'd have, what, Brett Gardner, Judge, Aaron Hicks, Judge, and Stanton as your DH and your catcher's Sanchez. Yeah. Man, that is uh, some lineup. But that means maybe more players want to go to the Yankees because they want to be a part of that well, unbelievable there's, roster. There's not there's a lot more room once you get past Machado. Right. You know, uh, because the Yankees, they're in a unique situation this year where because of losing Rodriguez, they could still fit Machado in this year and be able to reset that luxury tax, now, let's, which is going away anyway in about four years, I think. Let's go back to the Orioles since that's our team, that's our city. Do, are you, I know you're disappointed with the lack of moves. Yeah. Does it shock you as, when it comes to the lack of moves? I have to be honest with you. I am shocked every time I see a pitcher go off the board. Be it, and none of the big names have really gone off the board. But when I see a Tyler Chatwood, Julie's Shashin, uh, who are some of the other st- starting pitchers that have come off the board? It's just I keep going. Okay, what are the Orioles waiting for? I know these guys aren't number one pitchers, but don't they realize they're not going to get Alex Cobb or Jake Arrieta? Or you Darvish, so where are they going to, you know, the the feeling is if Machado is there and they could add three starting pitchers that are three, four, and five and keep your fingers crossed that Bundy, it's going to be better than last year because you couldn't be worse than Miley, Tillman, (laughs) and Ubaldo were last year. You really couldn't. I mean, the team's starting pitching ERA, I think, is the highest in club history and the second highest of all time, 5.7 ERA for your starting pitchers. And honestly, with Gosman, you don't know what to expect because the first half of the last couple of years for him have been absolutely atrocious. Terrible, terrible. So how much do you think that affects Machado's thought process? Do you think if I th- they get— I think his thought process is, for the most part, has been determined already. Okay. I, I don't think that he feels, watching what they had last year— in in Ubaldo and Wade Miley, I mean, it doesn't serve his purpose to come out and say, "Well, I can't sign here," you know, from a negative point of view. When he signs somewhere else, he'll be talking about, "Hey, I wanted a chance to win championships, mm-hmm. and I didn't feel that was the case in Baltimore." He doesn't have to name names, but but speaking of naming names, let's go over our uh, guest list today because it is a rather distinguished guest list, and if you are looking for my partner in crime on Saturdays, Craig Heist. Craig had a uh, death in his family. His brother passed away, and uh, Craig will not be with us today. We wish him and his wife, Suzanne, all the best. Uh, second tragedy they've suffered in the past two to three weeks as Suzanne's mom passed away a couple weeks ago. So a trying time in the Heist household. Joining us in just about two minutes will be Rich Dubroff. Our very fine beat writer for Pressbox and PressBoxOnline.com. 10.45, first time on the bat around because we don't like to bother him too much because he's do, he's doing wall-to-wall baseball quite often at that this time of the morning. On Masson is Rock Kabatko, whose blog, um, School of Rock, is one of the most popular 
in the uh, sports world. He does a fantastic job for Masson, so we'll figure we'll, we'll spend a few minutes with him. Joining us at 11.05 is a good friend of the program's, good friend of mine, and a real good friend of, of uh, Craig Heiss. That's the great Richard Justice of MLB.com. And then joining us at 11.30 from Yahoo uh, Sports.com. Is it Yahoo.com? It's just Yahoo.com. It's Yahoo.com, but it's, I believe. But he's from Yahoo Sports, is a fantasy writer for them. I'll find out if he writes all sports. Andy Barons. And the reason we're having Andy on today, as I was explaining to both you and Brittany, is there's an interesting scenario coming up in fantasy baseball this year with the first ever true two-way player being introduced into Major League Baseball, and it's got it's got fantasy baseball leagues scurrying to figure out how to adapt to this because, again, if you look at Jose Altuve or you look at Clayton Kershaw or you look at Mike Trout, the three top names maybe in all of baseball, they would peak out at a value of – Kershaw would probably be worth $37, $38 as a great starting pitcher – um, Altuve and Trout are probably worth forty-five to forty-eight dollars. Otani is valued if 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 the dream scenario came through, and he came in and played every day as a designated hitter, except the days he was a pitcher. And let's say he wins fifteen or sixteen games as a starting pitcher with the Angels and knocks thirty-five home runs. And 90 runs batted oh, in. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to imagine this, yeah. but his value would be as one player. And remember, you only have $260 to draft your team. He would come in with a valuation of like about $70, 65 to $70. So what, te- what leagues are doing, they've come up with this uh, methodology that it really behooves leagues for competitive fairness to create two Otanis, uh, a pitching Otani and a batting Otani, and and have everybody judge what they're worth. And you'll it'll be interesting because I would think he will go for twenty five to twenty eight dollars as a starting pitcher, and I think he'll go for about sixteen or seventeen dollars as a hitter. But if his true valuation was lumped into one, he's a, he's potentially a $65 or $70 player. But how concerning is that UCL injury? It's a little bit concerning, but let's not forget that the Angels felt they knew about it. It wasn't like it became a surprise after the signing. Um, I think more than likely what's going to happen with Shohei Otani is he's going to bat about 225 times, and he's going to get 25, 27 starts. That's what I think. Anyway... Joining us right now is somebody who I dare say has never played fantasy baseball. It's our good friend from PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Covers the Orioles extraordinarily well. Rich Dubroff. Rich, how are you? Uh, happy birthday, Stan. Thank you I very was, much, and a happy I new year. Say this was one of your, I would dare say this was one of your colder birthdays. Uh, <laughs> it was the coldest one in memory. But uh, <laughs> thank you very much for that. Happy New Year. Hope it's a healthy, happy one for you and your, your wife. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, we also, uh, knowing you and what you uh, care about and are passionate about, we hope it's a, a happy um, uh, uh, New Year for the Baltimore Orioles. And uh, 
What can you tell us about where they are now, and do you think in your heart of hearts that Dan Duquette is surprised at where they are right now? I think everybody is surprised not only where they are, but where lots of teams are. You know, I think it's astounding. It's been that, kind of uh, an industry-wide issue. Yeah, I mean, it's ast- it's astounding that all these players, that so many of these players that we've talked about, you know, for the two months for the two months of the off season, and the off season is, you know, the off season has gone on for for two months, are still available, and you know how and how little action there has been, and you know I thought, well, New Year's. Uh, you know, New Year's over, uh, holidays are over, you know, teams are going to get down to action, and uh, hasn't really happened. And of, 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 all the, of all the reasons we've heard, you know what, what's making the most sense to me of all is that there are so much, there's so much duplication now in the world of metrics and stats that each team has a stats department it's that they kind of all have a very similar bank of knowledge now, and I think they're somebody. They're all afraid to be the first one to go out on a limb and do something that that isn't by their new book. Right, I think that there's a lot to that, and also people have sort of copied what Duquette's done, where you know they think they think that prices are going to come down yep. the longer that they wait. Now, and also, you know, I don't, I think that if this were a year from now and Manny Machado and Bryce Harper and Dallas Keuchel uh, and Andrew McCutcheon and potentially, and potentially Kershaw and potentially Kershaw on an opt out, you know, right. If those guys, those guys are got to have them players. I don't know that there is a single got to have them player right now. You know, I mean, there are a lot of nice players out there. I mean, you'd love to have Alex Cobb on the Orioles, and a lot of teams want, uh, you know, Eric Hosmer, and apparently there's some, you know, some really good offers out for him. But I think that, you know, I mean, you Darvish, well, he's a good, he's a really good pitcher. Arietta's a really good pitcher, but they're not as good as what's going to be there next year. And I think that, you know, teams are a little wary of these, uh, you know, of, of these long contracts because they have proved, you know, I mean, they've proven that, that really long contracts for players usually are a bad idea. We're talking to Rich Dubroff of PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Our friend Bon Zatufa has a, a question to pose to you. Hey, Rich, how you doing? I'm great, Bon. Happy New Year to you. You too, you too. So you're talking about the reliability of long contracts. So, if you have a long contract with, you know, 18, 19, 20 million a month, a month, a year, what's worse, having that or a three-year contract worth 25 to 30 million a year? Which one is worse, do you think? A short contract the, the with longer, a lot? The longer, con- the longer contract. The longer contract? Up thing. Okay. You know. It was our old friend. It was our old friend Andy McPhail who once said there's never been a, no such thing as a bad one-year contract. Well, there have been. <laughs> I, I think, you know, but, you know, it, 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 it was good copy. But, you know, in, in the case of, say, a Nelson Cruz, you know, and you're looking around right, now and those you're... Are, those are unicorns. Yeah. A, a Cruz is kind of like, that, that's kind of a, you know, that's kind of a unicorn. 
you know, it was a player betting on him. You know, it was a player betting on himself. And of course, it, of course, the Orioles, the Orioles should have gone and, uh, you know, gone and and given him that uh, that four year deal that the Mariners gave him because he's had three superlative seasons, and it would have prevented the Orioles from uh, from making some deals that uh, have turned out uh, not so well for him. Hey, Rich, you're you're entering your second year with us at Pressbox. You were with Comcast Sportsnet Mid Atlantic for what six years? Five years. Five years. Can you remember a time period? Because Jim, I heard Jim Bowden the other day on one of those front office shows say there was a time, and I'm not sure whether it was three or four years ago, that the Orioles and Machado's, uh, Dan Lozano, were reasonably close to a deal. And I don't know whether it was a six-year deal, a seven-year deal, but that, that the Orioles were hesitant because of the knee issues and and something never got done. Do you remember it that way? Well, it never really came out. It was not reported contemporaneously. Okay. You know, there was never a time when people, you know, when people. It was only it was only heard in retrospect. Okay. That they were close. You know that they were close to it, uh, and that's never. You know, and certainly, if you remember, you know, uh, in two thousand. 13 and 14, he had, you know, he had two, it, it's forgotten now because he's had such a great recovery, but he had surgeries on both knees. And in fact, in 2014, he had a very, very weak start to, uh, to the season after he, uh, you know, after he missed the first month. So yes, of course, another one in hindsight, they, it would have been much better if they would have uh, locked him up. But, you know, when you're thinking at the time, that you have, uh, you know, a 22-year-old who uh, who has two who has knee surgeries on both knees. There, you know, I think concerns concerns could have been uh, justified. Of course, it, it's turned out not to be the case, but you you can see why um, there were concerns. Um, I do want to ask you. This is just came out, I think, yesterday or two days ago, in relation to a couple Orioles players. Um, Hyunsu Kim and Tyler Wilson are teammates again, but this yeah. time in uh, Korea. Now, I don't know much about Korean baseball, but is that a chance for both players to kind of get themselves together and re- revitalize their MOB career a couple years later? I, I think in uh, the case of Tyler Wilson, that's the case. I mean, the, the cases are very different, Bonsa. Um, Tyler Wilson is taking... Uh, is taking the the chance that uh, his career can be pumped up. Mm-hmm. As, you know, a number of uh, players' careers were were pumped up by going to Korea and then coming back. Hunsu Kim signed, I think, a four year contract, and of course he's Korean. Mm-hmm. And you know, there was not any interest in in him in the major leagues after uh, you know after last season. So he very much wanted to stay in the major leagues, but would. Uh, but went back, went back home, and I think that uh, you know, I think after four years, the uh, even if he had great stats, well, he had great stats in Korea before he came to the U.S. I think that you know, uh, Orioles fans can look upon you know 2016 as uh, you know a fun time with uh, with Kim, and I think that's what the memory will be. 
We're talking with Rich Dubroff of PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Still to come on the show today, first ever appearance on the battle round of Rock Kabatko, good friend of mine and Mr. Dubroff's. We'll also have Richard Justice of MLB.com. Getting back to the Orioles and their pursuit of pitching, um, I was a guest on a friend of mine's program this morning on 1300 here in Baltimore, and he asked me to project the Orioles' starting rotation on opening day, and I had to chuckle. I mean, right now, you'd say Bundy and Gosman and Miguel Castro, and we have no idea who else right now. Yeah, Mike, I mean, you know, there's there's Mike Wright, there's Alec, you know, Mike Wright, there's Alec Asher. Um, you know, there, there's some of these minor league uh, minor league guys, but I would say that, uh, you know, Castro would, uh, or Gabriel Inoa, I would say Castro would be sort of the the fifth starter, uh, and maybe not you know, and they, and he has to prove himself there. I mean, they're going to have other they're going to have other other pitchers in this. I mean, it's funny because I say that I say this day after day and week after week, and uh, you know, eventually I'll be proven right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, they can't go into they cannot go into spring training. With this, but you know, but look at all the pitchers that are, uh, you know, that are available. You know, um, it's it's interesting because normally what what a what a larger supply does is drives down prices, but yet because the market in its entirety has been so slow, there's still a lot of holes on everybody's rotation uh, boards right now. Uh, do you think prices on the guys like Vargas and Kashner are sufficiently depressed that the Orioles could get back in on one or both of those guys? Well, I'm, I'm sure that they're back in. I'm sure that they've not been out. Yep. Right. Um, and I, I think that, you know, I, I think that they remain hesitant, uh, as Dan Duquette expressed at the, at the winter meetings, to have a – to to – enter into a, a four or five year contract which may preclude Alex Cobb and Lance Lynn. But you know, if they have three you know, if he can get three year deals with with players, then uh then I think that uh, you know, three or two year deals, I think that, that would be ideal. And, you know, we mentioned yeah, we mentioned Andrew Kashner and, and of course Jason Vargas and of course Miguel Gonzalez uh is still out there and I think he would be a you know I would think he would be somebody who who could help them. Have you? So, and, there, and there are others as well. Have you uh, gotten? It's just, a, it's just. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. It, it's just that I think that they were given pause early in the market when uh, when someone that you know you were tracking, Miles Miklas, signed uh, you know signed a contract which seemed to be absurd. You right. know, two years, fifteen million dollars with the Cardinals. So uh, they were some. That was somebody they wanted, but. They'd like to, you know, they'd like to have, uh, uh, you know, a decent price, you know, to, uh, get somebody like that at a, at a more reasonable price. We're talking to Rich Dubroff of PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Um, Rich, I asked Stan this question earlier uh, in the show, and I want to ask you. Obviously, it's disappointing that the Orioles really haven't made any noticeable moves yet, but does it shock you? Yes, it does. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I when you are when you are this close, you know, we are almost what, 
just about five weeks from spring training. Right. And there are still, you know, there are still a half a dozen spots that I don't know who they're going to. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple of starting pitchers, and then because of the injury to Zach Britton, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe maybe they'll they'll spend a little bit on another relief pitcher, or maybe they'll fill that, you know, fill that from within or within the minor league signings. They may well get a minor league cat, you know, another veteran catcher. If they're conv- if they're not convinced that Francisco's ready to start the season, they need a utility infielder. Uh, there's a left-handed, uh, you know, they'd like an, another left-handed hitting outfielder. So you know that, that that's like six spots mm-hmm. potentially that aren't uh, you know that aren't accounted for, and that's uh, those are a lot of questions right. that are are going to have to be. Uh, uh, answered. Hey, Rich, um, looking at that uh, last piece of the Marlins offseason puzzle, the, the potential to for some team to gain two nice major league players in outfielder Christian Yelich and uh, J.D. Uh, Real Muto, the catcher, do you see the Orioles, I, I know on, on, on paper it might not look like there would be a fit but I'm wondering if the Orioles could somehow get involved in that sort of package. Well, I'm, I'm sure they'll look at it, but it would certainly seem that um, that they really don't have anything. I mean, they don't want you know they need starting pitching. They need starting pitching now. They need starting pitching for the future. But one and of the things, trade, they, but one of the things they also need is cost certainty and talent certainty. And I'm wondering right. if you suddenly put together a package of Chance Cisco and Austin Hayes that that the Marlins wouldn't be interested in something like that as a return starting point of a return for two guys that are very signable and cost effective. Yelich uh, signed for what five more years at fifty five million dollars. Yeah, I don't know. It. Uh... I, I would be very, very surprised if the, uh, well, if be the sur- Orioles ended up with those two guys. I'd be surprised, but it, it makes all the sense to me. They've got a catching prospect that everybody admits they like, but they don't love, you know, because they're not they're not willing to say Cisco's our guy. There's still even talk that they'll look for a a better option in case he doesn't make it this year. And I mean, if I if I said to you. Uh, we could get Real Mute and Yelich for for just Austin Hayes. You'd say you'd do that in a minute, wouldn't you? Well, Stan, uh, I'll leave that to the fantasy general managers. Okay, well. all right. Well, makes an awful lot of sense to me. Uh, I I just I'm so, yeah. looking around for ways to make this team better, and I see an awful lot of resistance in to thinking a little bit outside the box. Well. Um, it doesn't. The Orioles don't really care what I think about uh, <laughs> about their about their trades. So uh, yeah, but you th- uh, but you don't you don't ascribe much uh, sense to that at all, do you? You think the, no. co- the- I, I think I, I think I, I think those are two those would be two nice players to have for the Orioles, right? But they need starting pitch. But they need starting pitching. Does it does it worry both of you? that it could be another year where the Orioles had to keep calm people up in the minor leagues, and then after they have a start, they put them back down in the minors. And they're gonna, they're, it's going to happen. It's yeah, going to happen. It's going to happen. You know, it's no not that it's they, they, they want Ponce, so they want to start.
structure their club where that can happen. Okay. You know, they want pitchers that they that that have options that they can send down who uh, you know, if, if things don't work. They they like that flexibility okay. in the bullpen. Of yeah. course they would prefer that guys um, that, that guys are consistent performers, but they don't want they, they if the guys are are not doing great or they think that there's somebody else who's a, a hot hand, I think that they'll, you know, they'll continue to do that. So I think that, that you know, you look at a lot of the guys who are on the 40-man the roster, uh, in, the, in the bullpen, other than, you know, other than the top guys, Brock and O'Day and, uh, and Blyer, Gibbons actually has options, but they're not going to send them down. But the other guys, they'll, a lot of those guys, they'll, they'll look at uh, Crichton, uh, Stephon Crichton and... Uh, um, Jimmy Jimmy Acabonis and Alec Asher uh, and Gabriel Noah. I mean, they're guys with options. Mm-hmm. So when they have op, you know, when they have options, that to them makes them uh, makes them more attractive. Hey, we can we can argue the point about uh, Tyler Chatwood and what Alex Cobb is worth. How did the Orioles and and granted, there's 28 other teams that allowed it to happen as well, but. The former Red Sox, uh, highly thought of prospect, left-handed pitcher Henry Owens, um, was allowed to get through an American League waivers, and the Diamondbacks picked him up. And then I guess the Diamondbacks were trying to get through without him on their forty-man roster as well. And the Dodgers ended up picking him up. How did Henry Owens not appeal to the Orioles? He's got the option. He's left-handed. Could convert to a relief pitcher. Did did that one um, did that one get by you? No, no, because I, I went and I, I know you had mentioned it before. I went and I looked at his stats, and they were really his minor league stats were really pretty rocky. And uh, you know they've seen and they've seen a lot of him. Mm-hmm. So I, I I would think that they thought that he was not uh, that he was not salvageable. Okay. I mean they 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 they've, they've tried to you know and Lord knows they've tried to salvage a lot of you know. But, a lot of pitchers. But, you know, and it's frustrating. I'm not trying to show the frustration at you. I compared his minor league stats and, and looked at them. To Andrew Miller. And I compared him to Andrew <laughs> Miller, and I saw almost the same pitcher right. without part two in Owen's career, which is, hey, this guy can't get it together to pitch six or seven innings at the major league level, but damn it, for one or two innings, he might be pretty damn good. Well, at the time also it looked like – Remember they 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 still had uh, that when that happened they had Britain too you know Britain Britain hadn't torn his Achilles right but they were and, still already talking about getting somebody an upgrade of Donnie Hart even before Britain went down right uh, boy it sure right. seemed and, like and, it sure seemed like Owens would have been at least worth bringing in they're sitting there right now with how many people in the forty man roster thirty five thirty eight thirty eight and four of them are essentially tied to Rule 5 situations. That's really right. a really flawed way to run a Major League franchise. Well, you know, I, I think that the, the roster you're looking at right now is not going to be the roster you're looking at February 13th. Yeah, but it'll, still have, it'll still have four Rule 5 people tied to it, including well, Santander it from on, a year it ago. It won't, it won't on March 29th. Yeah, okay. Uh, we will see. All right, Rich, we appreciate your being on as always. 
it's gotten contentious between us during the off season. I guess my my frustration it shows uh, my frustration with the team ends up coming out against you. Sorry, and Rich. you know I love you. But well, you know I, I think Stan that uh, I, I think that you're uh, you're representing uh, a lot of the frustration in a different way yeah, that I've... you hear, and I think that I think that you know it's going to be a very, very difficult year for the team. I mean, if I talked to you about the Ravens, would you defend Marty Morningwood? <laughs> well, it's a different... Um, it's a different equation. Know, it's a different sport. It's a different sport, and I'm sure Bo... I'm sure Bo Smolka will have... <laughs> yeah. You know, he is... He, he's, he is he's at least as knowledgeable about the Ravens as I am yeah. about the Orioles. He's he, scratching uh, his... He also looks at things very intellectually. He's scratching his head at, the, at that as well. All right, listen, many thanks. Uh, we'll talk to you. Uh, when do you head down to spring training? Uh, I'm heading down to, of course, the mini camp tomorrow. Oh, you're heading down oh. for that. Okay. Wow. I'm heading down to mini camp tomorrow, and, uh, and then uh, we'll, uh, spring training, I'll be going down uh, February 12th. All right. Many thanks, Rich. My pleasure. Thank uh, you, guys. All right. There you have it, Rich Dubroff. Uh, it's interesting because he, he senses that I'm representing, albeit a media perspective, that I'm representing uh, the frustration that Oriole fans are feeling right now, Bonza. That's a good thing, I think. You're kind of like the voice of the fans. The voice of the fans. Hence, stand the fan. Yes. There you yes, go. Yes, yes, <laughs> All right. We're going to take a timeout, and uh, we'll try and figure something out that's missing here in the studio. When we return, we'll make our connections with Masson, Masson's Rock Kabatko, and that's at Masson Rock, uh, will join us on the battle round right after this. Coming to the Owings Mills Metro Center soon, Hammer and Nails Grooming Shop for Guys, where they offer hand and foot grooming, barbering, and straight razor shaves, all in a relaxed man cave nirvana. You get your own TV and remote, top-of-the-line noise-canceling headphones, and a complimentary beverage, all while you kick back in a seat that has been custom-crafted with your comfort being the number one priority. Trust me when I say this is a one-of-a-kind experience that will have you feeling like a modern-day king. That's Hammer and Nails Grooming Shop for guys coming soon to the owings mills metro center find out more by going to hammerandnailsgrooming.com the latest edition of press box is available now on the cover a touching family story for the holidays as bo smoka profiles raven safety eric weddle a man whose family and faith are every bit the priority that football is plus 10 questions with ravens cornerback brandon carr and much more press box is available for free at over 500 area locations including 60 royal farm stores you can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the orioles ravens and terps at pressboxonline.com Full Circle Tire and Auto would like to thank the Harford County Sheriff's Department and the Baltimore County and Baltimore City Police Departments. Any active or retired employee can receive 8.75% off up to $100 on any service. We are proud to serve you. Thank you for serving us. The deal lasts through January 31st, and that's Full Circle Tire and Auto at 410-676-CARS. That's 410-676-2277 at 1304 Governor's Court, Suite 110 in Abingdon, Maryland. FullCircleTireAndAuto.com Guys, can you believe that we've been in Section 336 for 25 years? Well, yeah, 25th anniversary of Canham Yards. Yeah, we've been in Section 336. 336. Well, I mean, technically. Are we? Well, 
technically we're in 334. No, no, no. Section 336. We're in Section 336. Yeah, like our podcast, that's who we are. We're Section 336. Every Monday night. It's Every Monday night, yeah. But, you know, when we go to the stadium, we tend to sit in 334. But the ticket's screwed up. We're just, we can touch Section 336. I walk past, I say hi to Ryan in Section 336. Yeah, and when we say hi to Ryan, we can talk Orioles because we always do here on the show, Section 336. Yeah, so Section 336. Section 336. That's where we are. Just lie to him. That's Press us. box. Find Section 336 at the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com or by going to iTunes or Section336.com. Hey, it's Glenn, and you might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling no, podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling yeah, podcast. Just, Look, just, just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to job and out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, <laughs> real quick. It's jobbing out. Glenn Clark, Aaron Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins he Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com. They say you're only as strong as the company you keep. The U.S. Army keeps you in strong company. If you want to stand out, the Army can give you the training you need. To take advantage of the strong options waiting for you, visit GoArmy.com. You may qualify for up to a $40,000 signing bonus. Start your future today at www.GoArmy.com football. There's strong, then there's Army strong. Paid for by the United States Army. And we are back on the bat around Stan the Fan, along with Bonzatufa. And uh, joining us right now is uh, Masson Rock, at Masson Rock. That's his Twitter handle, and that is uh, Rock Kabatko. And Rock, normally in the, I know it's your first time on the show, normally sitting across from me is Craig Heist. And I'm sorry to give you bad news, Craig's brother passed away overnight. Oh, I did not know that. Well, oh, I didn't know it till eight thirty this morning when he called me, and uh, it just it was just completely to- totally out. That's awful. Totally out of the out of the blue, and just about two weeks after Suzanne lost uh, her mom, so been a rough couple wow. of weeks in the heist household. But I well, I'll definitely reach out to him. Thank you for letting me know. That's okay. Sorry to had to be on on the air like this, but we let our listeners know what's happening uh, earlier today. So our thoughts go out to the heist household. Um, Rock, a happy new year to you and yours. You too. Um, what, is your, what is your sense of where the Orioles are at right now? Dan Duquette is playing a very slow hand of chess right now, which most of the industry is playing right now. Yeah, that's the thing. The Orioles, this is kind of their comfort zone. I don't know about right. other teams, but the Orioles invented letting the market play out. I mean, they did that with Andy McPhail, too, keep in right. mind. It's not just a Dan Duquette thing. So for them to lay back and wait for prices to come down and, and not to be overly aggressive with a contract they may regret later, I mean, that's, that's their patent and move. Any other team that does that should have to send them a check for $20 <laughs> for stealing their move. But, uh but there is the risk. I mean, I had written, I thought they needed to be more aggressive this go-around because they've got so many needs, including those three openings in the rotation plus AAA depth. They actually need about five starters at least. Yeah. And Dan indicated at the winter meetings that, yes, they may need to be a little more proactive, is the word he used. 
And yet here we are. There's been a significant move made by the Orioles, and the rest of the industry seems to be following suit. There are some relievers flying off the board now, and I talked to somebody in the organization that said that the reason the market may be so slow otherwise is because there are more teams putting more emphasis on relievers than starters, which is why you still have the Ariettas and the Darvishes and Cobb, Lynn, et cetera, still out there looking for work. We're talking to Rock Gabatko of uh, Masson, his uh, blog, School of Rock, one of the most popular uh, of its kind. And Rock, um, I go back to a couple names that I was interested in at the outset of the offseason, and I was very excited when the Atlanta Braves, and again, this is the kind of thing that excites me, uh, when the Atlanta <laughs> Braves opted to not pick up the option on R.A. Dickey, and I said, hmm, there's 190 to 200 innings of quality, maybe not great, but not Ubaldo or Miley bad, uh, that there's 190, 200 solid innings, 4.3, 4.4 ERA. Um, and yet, I've never heard a word mentioned uh, with his name. Do you know if he's retiring or is he still a potential out there? I mean, by the way, before I forget, happy birthday. Thank you. I don't you. want to miss the chance to wish you a happy birthday. Thank you very much. Um, I mean, as far as I know, he still wants to pitch. Now, I haven't been following that closely, but I'm sure that I would have seen a tweet about it, it would have been on trade rumors or something if he was retiring. And you're right, that's a guy that I would normally expect to be linked to the Orioles. And I know Buck Showalter in the past has been a strong advocate of, of his, and, and he seems like that would be his kind of guy for the back end of the rotation just to give you innings. But I have not heard anything about any interest in him. Of course, we're not privy to every conversation that Duquette has. Uh, you know, there have been some additions in the past that have surprised us, and we're like, oh, I didn't even know they were in on him, like a Seth Smith and, and some other guys. So for all I know, you know, they've talked to his agent, but I have not heard anything. And they would, it would be on this day and age, it's hard to keep secret. So you would think yeah. that if they had any sort of interest, it would have been reported or somebody would have brought that name up in a conversation with one of the beat writers. Uh, and I've not heard anything. And, and, you know, I know on the surface it's like really, you know, it's, this is what this team's looking for. You'll hear dumpster diving or whatever. Yeah. But I always stress, besides the fact you have three openings, you just you want upgrades. Yep. And if, I mean, if, if they believe he's an upgrade over Ubaldo Jimenez and, and Jeremy Hellickson, and that's not like the bar was raised that high, yep. I wouldn't make that my marquee signing, but I certainly would have interest in him. I think that's the key is when you bring that up, people go, really, that's what you want to sign? And I go, yeah, I'm not saying he's our number one guy, but when you've got two starters that uh, I think realistically Bundy and Gosman, if they had their best years next year, are still like two number twos, I'd sure like to round them out with uh, competent major league arms. Exactly, and that's also why I'm an advocate. I know the Orioles, and there's actual mutual interest in bringing back Chris Tillman just because I think that you know, he, he didn't have the regular offseason, didn't have a regular spring training, and you can just write off 2017, but I think in a one-year kind of pillow contract, and it's hard to get starters to come to Camden Yards yep. and the AL East, especially on those one-year deals where you're trying to, you know, reestablish your value. And, the, you know, hitters love it, but pitchers not so much. But you got a guy who was op- more than open to doing that, and if you can get Chris Tillman back to the, what he was in prior seasons, on that kind of a contract, and I'm not saying again opening day, though if he wins the job in spring training, so be it. It's an open competition. But you can do that, I absolutely would. But it's just because you have to be realistic here. I'm not a champion of their approach, but uh, you know they, they will not give four or five-year deals to starting pitchers. So that's going to eliminate all of these 
top guys, even even the top second-tier guys. I'd eliminate Lance Lynn and eliminate Dallas Cobb. They're going to get four or five years. So you are now in the lower second-tier and a guy like Chatwood, what do you get, three for 13, 13 a year, 39 yeah. a year roughly, yeah. Exactly. So I don't think they'd be overly comfortable with that. So, I mean, they're going to have to look for the guys like bringing back a Tillman or a Miguel Gonzalez. Again, if you had one opening, it's different. But, I mean, you've got three spots you've got to fill. Now, one I think is going to be an in-house competition. Yeah. I think that might be more of a Mike Wright's out of option. He'll have a shot. Castro. You know, uh, got Castro, I mean, Castro for sure, guys like that. It'd be great if Chris Lee took that big jump because he had a disappointing season last year, and there's your lefty in the rotation. I'm not counting on it. That's yep. a possibility. Or Cortez, that they got to rule five kid. But you've got other spots you've got to fill. So, you know, a Gonzalez or a Tillman, a Dickey, somebody like that, they should all be in play right now. Hey, uh, Rockets, Bonza. Um, I wanted to ask a question. Uh, Mike Shallon is in our live stream putting comments, and he wanted to ask. he wanted me to ask you about uh, Manny Machado and – you think he can go to Boston or New York, and where are the odds of going to either? I think there's a better chance, really, and it's funny because I thought after the winter meetings it was better than 50-50 he'd be traded, and it's still certainly a possibility. Anybody that says the talks have gone cold or a dead are absolutely wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. The Orioles, teams are still reaching out to him, but I think there's a better than 50-50 chance now he stays just because they have not uh, lowered their expectations of what they want back. And mm-hmm. teams aren't willing, right now at least, to give them the two starting pitchers, uh, you know, high-end, high-ceiling type guys. Uh, and for someone who's, you know, pending free agent, who and there's no negotiating window, there's no 72-hour window, and the Orioles are saying, well, look, you know, they're using uh, Jason Hayward as a comp. And they're like, well, we're not going to settle for less. We'd rather just hold on to Manny. I think the bigger debate now is whether he's a shortstop or third baseman for them. I know there are people in the organization that want him to play short. But I think there's a better 50-50 chance he stays. But all it takes is one phone call. That's why there's not a firm deadline. They can say we've moved on from that. But if suddenly a team says, okay, you know, we'll give you that other prospect, pitching prospect you wanted, they're not going to say sorry too late. They will pull the trigger on it. And I think that includes, I know New York's a hard sell for ownership, maybe Boston as well. But if you can get the premium prospects that they want, I think you have enough people in the organization uh, High, high above, high up on the food chain, that could make that happen. I believe that. I just don't think it's going to at this point. In fact, every time there's another report about Boston or New York making recent contact, it becomes another big breaking news story. Mm-hmm. I check, and I'm told they've just been secondary players in this whole thing. Like there's been more interest expressed by the Diamondbacks lately than those teams. I, so you know, I'm not expecting them to go anywhere at this point. But it, it all takes is one phone call. I still think if anything percolates with Boston or New York and it looks like that's a possibility, I have a feeling that I just have a feeling the Cubs could get a little bit more serious and up the ante. But but one of the things I wanted to talk to you about with him uh, is Jim Bowden on uh, MLB Network uh, radio, XM radio. Uh, is somebody I really listen closely to what he talks about because he was actually in Dan Duquette's chair 10, 12 years ago. And he talked about how you go, you enter a trade with a certain need, but when you're when the clock is ticking on your rock and you've got to extract value, that sometimes you've got to back off of what your notion of what you need is to get the best value, because he, he was talking about it in, in the case of uh, 
when he owned Jeff Shaw, the relief pitcher. He wanted to trade him desperately because he thought he was going to have a fallback a season, uh, and he was making big money. And he traded him to the to the Dodgers for Paul Konerko, even though he didn't need a first baseman, but it was because that was the best value he could get. And then he worried about moving Konerko a little later on. I know it's a long-winded question. The, has Dan gotten off of the only trade Machado if we get back those two starting pitchers? He hasn't yet, because otherwise I think they would have got a deal by now, yeah. had a deal done. And by the way, as you are with Jim Bode, I, I'm lightweight with Jim Duquette, because yeah. he was in that seat, and they're also related. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, kind of, yeah. I also listen closely to him. But yeah, I mean, I, I see the logic there. I think what they're thinking is, Right now, we don't have to do that. They can always revisit it the deadline, the non-waiver trade deadline, and you would think logically we are going to get even less for two months of Manny, and yet we've seen with Chapman, with Andrew Miller, that it is possible to get a big haul back for teams as the contenders are more clearly defined, teams get more desperate. They're like, you know, we're all in right now. We don't want them going to our rival. And sometimes you can get more out of a club on July 31st than you can on January 31st, and that was part of the, the lobby buzz at the winter meetings. I had multiple people in the industry telling me, you know what, I just if you can't get what you want now, hold on to them, you'll get more later. Big risk, of course. Other people disagree with that thinking, but I think the Orioles are like, if the worst thing that happens to us right now is Manny's on our opening day lineup, and we're still trying to be, quote, competitive, as, as Dan likes to say, then they, they can live with that. Um, you know, right or wrong, I think that's the thinking right now, that they don't feel like they have to come off of their demand, and they'll just hold on to Manny and then see if anybody comes forward later with a better offer. Curious where you stand. I wrote a column uh, this past week about the shortstop versus third base, and I don't see, in in my baseball world, I don't see anything the Orioles gain by playing Manny Machado at short over third base. First of all, I think our defense is still going to be better with Machado at third, I also think it gives them a real full, solid year to 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 answer the question, is Tim Beckham a guy you want here for three, four more years, or is he going to just fall back into being kind of a quasi-utility guy? Where do you stand on the Machado at third or short if he's in Baltimore? Yeah, you mean a very unhappy quasi-utility guy? Yes, yes. <laughs> Tim will not be happy about that at all. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm basically, I agree with you. I see, I see some of the logic. I've talked to people that want Manny at short because they think they, they were concerned about Beckham being the everyday shortstop because of his inconsistency, and they think it maybe it lights a little bit of a fire under Manny because that's where he wants to play. You may get a monster year out of him because he's more energized and he's going to have to, he'll be more focused on every single play. I mean, we love Manny at third, but at times he gets a little bored there. Yeah. And there's a little bit of a dip, and you have to kind of get him going again because it comes so easily to him. But the counter-argument is, how often do you ever take a platinum glove winner and move him off his position? <laughs> to me, it's like he is a difference maker at third. Why do that? It's, you know, it's, it's, and I've heard, well, it's easier to find a third baseman than shortstop. Well, the Orioles don't have one beaten down the door, so you're going to have to go out and get a third baseman. If you move Manny, or you're going to give Beckham third base, who's made five starts there in the majors. And if you're concerned about him at short, you should be concerned about him at a position he barely plays. So I think it just makes more sense to keep Manny at third and hit Beckham a thousand ground balls a day in spring training. Uh, exactly. Not to say the Rays didn't do the same thing. I'm not naive enough, as Bobby Dickerson said, to think the Rays weren't doing the same stuff. But they're really working with him on slowing the game down a little bit, being more 
robotic like a J.J. Hardy. You yep. know, just make those plays, routines, field, plant, throw, and eliminate all the other stuff. That tends to make him get a little sloppy and the inconsistency that comes into play. I would be more apt to do that and just leave Manny, but I, I'm understanding the logic of giving the position he wants. If, if it's a, too much of a physical toll, you either put him back at third, you say, you know what, that's going to be somebody else's problem next year because he's not staying with us anyway. we got one more year out of him, so ride him hard. But you better make that decision soon because, as, as Dickerson was telling me, we were talking the other day, it's a different conditioning for, for Manny. I mean, you know, you're playing shortstop. He's going to have to work out differently. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to be much more mobile, lateral, left to right, with two surgically repaired knees. He might have to be a little bit lighter. I mean, there's a lot of things he's going to have to do to prepare, and he's got to be the quarterback of that defense. This is where you're really going to miss J.J. Hardy. I've, I've likened it to the middle linebacker in football. I mean, Manny's definitely going to have to be engaged in every play because he's the guy at short who's going to be, I guess, for lack of a better term, kind of calling out the defenses. And, and if he's got an inexperienced third baseman, that really comes into play. There's, there's a lot more responsibility as a shortstop, and that's where J.J., I think, is going to really be missed, not just his consistency, but his leadership role in the infield where everybody looked to him and knowing exactly where you should be, what base you should be throwing to, things like that, Manny's going to have to be that leader at short. He can't, he can't take a playoff, and he can't get bored over there. He's going to have to really be engaged. And, I'm, again, the thinking is that he will be, and, therefore, he'll end up having this really big season. Yeah, yeah. I get back to, for, for a general manager who's traded, and, and again, this is, all, this is all after the fact, but who traded uh, Josh Hader for, for Bud Norris, who traded – Zach Davies for um, uh, Gerardo Parra and made a couple other trades where we'd like to look at what our starting rotation might look like. I I go back to even the Andrew Miller trade, which makes no sense to me now that I know that they didn't try and make even an effort to re-sign him to give up Eduardo Rodriguez to have thrown away Tobias Myers, granted only 19 years old, but to then immediately jettison the idea of Beckham being the everyday shortstop doesn't seem like it makes a lot of long-term sense to me. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I got the logic of the Andrew Miller trade yeah. as far as bringing him of in. Course. You have to give up something to get something. Yeah. That's the life of a contender, of, of a buyer instead of a seller, and the Tigers would have gotten him otherwise, and they might have beaten the Orioles at the playoffs because their bullpen would have been so much better, etc. But the fact that they immediately were like, well, we're not even going to negotiate with him he wants four years and I, what did jay what did darren o'day end up getting four later? years yeah yep. right so in that part you're right I, and you know you, if you re-sign andrew miller or nelson cruz uh maybe things are a little bit different uh, in hindsight so We've got, we, uh, but go ahead no no but, but you're so i see what you mean it's like you know you keep giving up these guys i understand you're going for it but then it'd be nice to actually hold on to them and, and try and have something long term so it doesn't sting quite as much when the young pitcher you gave up ends up blasting him somewhere else. Listen, hindsight's always twenty twenty. There's no question about that. Rock, before we let you go, uh, we got about forty five seconds or so. Uh, we know the we know what the 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 dynamics that have played out with Manny Machado. Maybe the knee stuff complicated uh, signing him to a long term deal before we got to this juncture. Um, is the club going down the exact same road with Jonathan Scope? Or do you, th- or do you look for the club maybe during this spring training to try and get something done that keeps him in an Oriole uniform for six or seven years? The most uh, I know about that is I know that they are going to move it off the back burner and try it and at least 
open up talks about that. What I'm not sure about is whether it's going to be serious talks, just going to be one like they did with Chris Tillman a few years ago where they kind of make that initial, and I hate to say low ball, but low ball offer. Mm-hmm. Like, here's our, you know, here's where we're going to start. And the agent's like, I don't even need to, like, <laughs> bring respond to my that. clients. Yeah. It's obviously, an, and that doesn't go anywhere after that. To me, that, that's a waste, that's wasted energy. Yep. So if you're, if you're really serious about it, then, then sit down with his people and spring training and agents are more than happy to come to the complex and, and discuss this. Cause I know they really do want to ha- work out something and avoid this situation to the closer he gets to free agency, the more, the more the price is going up and the more tempted he's going to be to test the market, but don't just make a, an initial offer just to kind of begin talks and then leave it dead like that, have it die on the, on the vine. You can't do that. You've got to be, if you're going to do this, be serious about it and really try and get a deal done. One other aspect of scope and 30 seconds, Rock, he's one of the rare players that's got that deal where some investors have invested in him uh, in his future earnings. Uh, do you remember that? I do. Yeah, I had forgotten about it until somebody brought it up a while ago. And I was like, oh, yeah, that was a story a few years ago. And I'm wondering if that might be where, you know, suddenly his investors say, you know what, Jonathan, $150 million, and I know they don't control control it. They probably own like 5 or 10% of his future earnings. But maybe there's some pressure brought to bear because of that. It's interesting topic to, to see somebody like you or Rich take a shot at writing about it. Yeah, because it's something I'm so unfamiliar with. I don't yep. know any other examples of that type of situation in a contract. Certainly, no one that I've ever written about, right? Or I would even know the inner workings of that. But that is that. You're right. That is a kind of an, another layer in this whole thing here. All right, Rock. Happy New Year to you. Thanks for joining us on the Bat Around. I try not to bother you on Saturdays because I know you got the Masson commitments a lot of times. But I appreciate your sharing some time with us. Hey, my pleasure. Happy birthday. All right. Thank you, Rock. Rockabotgo on the air and off the air. Joining us in just a moment will be Richard Justice of MLB.com. He will join us uh, in just a couple minutes, and uh, maybe we'll move into some more general baseball topics. We're here with Bonza Tufa in the studio, along with uh, his eventual replacement in a couple weeks, Ms. Brittany Everett, and she's joining us here on her, her first show where she's training I had no idea this show was this complicated to, to put on. But uh, RJ is going to join us. Is he Is he there? Oh, okay. What were you doing just now? Thanking Rock? Okay. All right. Um, anyway, um, football playoffs uh, starting today, around 4.30 today. Uh, I think the first game is, what, Kansas City hosting uh, Tennessee. I believe so. I, it, the NFL season went by so fast. Yeah. I didn't even realize it was playoff time. It just it, it, it blew by at lightning speed. All right. It must be a long one for a Ravens fan, though. Is Richard Justice there? All right. Joining us now, an old friend of ours, and uh, I have to give him the bad news on the air. Richard, uh, normally Craig Heist would be sitting across from me. Craig uh, lost his brother overnight. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, uh, and he was... Uh, Quite uh, distressed this morning when oh, he called I can me. Imagine. Yeah, uh, uh, shot out of hell, um, you know, overnight, and uh, he was. Uh, of course, he'll be missed. Um, yeah. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate sure. it. Speaking more optimistically, how's the city of Houston rebounding? Day by day, I mean, things are in pretty good shape. There are areas of the city that are going to be a long time rebuilding and. There's an issue with immigrants being afraid to go and ask for government assistance 
for fear they'll be deported. That's mm. a byproduct of the Trump era. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, if you drove around most of the city, you would, um, you would not notice anything. So, so the, the area that was hardest hit is like maybe 5% of the greater city of Houston? Yeah, well, you know, we were, I think about 60% of the county was underwater at one point. Wow. And, uh, but, yeah, uh, the part that they had to open spillways and, and, and got hit again. Uh, there's a larger question about what should be there. Did we, did we not plant enough grassland and overbuild and all of that stuff? That, that's a different conversation. All right. Um if you could quantify it, Rich, uh, the the winning of the championship by the Astros, kind of like the aftermath of the terrible uh, Ma- Boston Marathon bombing, brought the city together and the ball club. They all coalesced behind the the the, the ball club that won that last championship in Boston. How much did the, did the spirits of the city get lifted by the the Astros' run there? I think significantly, you know, I mean, I think the Astros handle it perfectly. A.J. Hinch, along with the mayor, Sylvester Turner, almost became the conscience of the city. The things he said, he cried one day in Tampa when the club was displaced and playing in Tampa and said uh, he'd gotten uh, photos from his neighbors who had rescued a child from water <laughs> that morning from a, from a flooded house, and he, he tears well in his eyes, and he said, I wish I could be there with them uh, right now. And... Before they played the Mets in a doubleheader, somebody they'd been the day the day before they had been to the uh, George R. R. Brown Center, where almost ten thousand misplaced people had been housed at one mm. point. And uh, they, somebody asked the question, "Hey, what are you going to say to your players to get them to clear their minds and just be able to play ball?" And he said, uh, "Oh, I, I don't want I don't want their minds cleared." I, he goes, I, "I want them to know that we're part of this community too." And uh, we're going to be part of the reconstruction. And the players are even—they're out today doing stuff. Um, and that won't end. They did the, the club, the franchise did itself proud. You know, and it was such an easy team to root for. I, I think they knew that. You know, they didn't drain any flood water or put any sheetrock back up. Although some players did all of those things. Yep. And um, um, but for a couple hours each day, it was a—it was a nice distraction. There's an unbelievable photo of this these people in a house that basically had nothing but a couple of chairs and a TV cheering uh, for the Astros to win. I don't know, you know, when you've been 56 years without a championship, I don't know if the emotions could be any greater, but uh, that that certainly played into it. And it felt like, again, A.J. Hinch's best line was, we're always asking a city to rally around a team. Well, it's okay to ask a team, team to, rally to rally around, around a city. city. Yeah. Excellent point. Uh, Rich, not to trivialize it, does ownership okay the Justin Verlander trade without the flooding issue? Or, or was did the owner decide, hey, damn it, we, we need to do something here to, to really be special? Well, uh, you know, they tried to get him uh, at, at the trade deadline mm-hmm. and couldn't do it. I think just as significant was that the club was playing poorly. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, they had a losing month in August. They were not in danger of losing the division, but they didn't look like a playoff team. And they had a bunch of guys hurt. You know, AJ, uh, Lance McCullers' his situation was uh, was uncertain. And, you know, frankly, the bullpen, the bullpen was terrible. That's what people remember. The bullpen was terrible in the postseason. But two months before the end of the season, it looked like they had a dominant bullpen. And I, I think all that factored in. And finally, Jeff Luno called 
Jim Crane, and let me just paraphrase, but 11 o'clock that morning on the day that set the rosters, the final day to make a trade, uh, Justin Verlander told the Tigers, no way. I'm going to the Cubs or I'm going to the Dodgers. And they finally told him, you know, less than an hour before the deadline, this is your only choice. And and as much as, as, much as the, he did for the Astros, they won every one of his regular season starts, um, I think he would tell you the club did a lot for him too. Yeah. I think you know he, he when they one of their celebrations he he said this is the happiest bunch of people I have ever been around. <laughs> and uh, in game two of the World Series they're going to lose the game. They're going to go down 0-2. And uh, Marlon Gonzalez hits a ball over the center field wall against the best closer in baseball, yep. Kenley Jansen. And I'm outside the Astros clubhouse in Dodger Stadium, and all I hear is screaming. And somebody, I said, "Wow, what's that?" And they said, "That's Verlander." And uh, when they, you know, they won, they tied the game, took the lead, lost the game, won the game. It was one of those games you had to win like three times. And uh, and he was the guy that went back in the dugout yelling at them. And he said later, he said, "They they don't know how good they are." And I think the energy of the group. I think I think he, he was I think he was very happy that he came here. But at the day, as the as the thing ground down, and Jeff Luno and Al Avila tried to make a deal, Jeff finally called his owner Jim Crane and said, "I can't get the money right. I just can't do it." And Jim Crane told him, uh, "Just make the deal. Just yeah. make the deal." Now, I I think that was we want to win a championship here, and we're not right now. We're not good enough to win a championship. And even when you get in the postseason, a hundred different things have to happen. You know, I mean, they won a game. They won play won a game six and seven against the Yankees. They won a game seven against the Dodgers. When in the you know some of the two of the World Series games were as crazy as any games you'll ever see in your yep. life, and you know it comes down to a coin flip. Carlos Correa hit a home run in Game Five of the World Series, and I you know you get caught up in these numbers. It had a it was 111 miles an hour off the bat, but it had a 48 degree launch angle. In other words, he had a ball straight up in the air and it got out of the park. Wow. And just stuff like that happened. George Springer misplays a ball and then hits a ball. 500 feet uh, on the, like the second pitch of the next inning. So it was, it was a cool thing to be around after. I'd never seen so many people crying on the field after game seven. I saw George Springer's dad, who I know really well, and he said, don't even look at me. You could tell he was barely <laughs> holding it together. And he points at George's mom, and she's not holding it together. And I think that, to me, typified what it meant to the club, to the city, and to a lot of people, even you know, I had people in the city. You weren't rooting for the ball. T- you were rooting for the ball team, but you were rooting for the city. I had so many people tell me, um, you know, like I don't even like baseball that much, right? Uh, but I got into this, yeah. And I would go. I've gone around and asked people at any point in the playoffs, did you cry? One guy told me, "Come on, what are you talking about? I didn't cry." And uh, his wife said. Game six, seven against the Yankees, you sure did have tears running down your eyes. Hey, so that's you, what it meant to people. Hey, you alluded to the fact that uh, the club, uh, that Justin did a lot for the, the Astros, but they did a lot for him. Uh, I think it was you that wrote a little bit about the difference in his numbers were so staggering, and part of that was his embrace late in the season of some sabermetrics or, you know, a different way of approaching his pitching. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, they're, you know, and some of the things they do, and the Dodgers are right in there, too. They're just smarter than everybody else. They're just a little bit ahead of the curve. And sometimes it's hard to get players to embrace it. Justin was a guy that didn't just embrace it. He wanted more. Give me more. Tell mm-hmm. me more. And they did things like, you know, 
a year ago at this time, Charlie Morton was a free agent, and he he didn't know if he was going to get a major league offer. The Astros offered him a two-year deal and told him, said, you've got to throw your curveball, and we don't mean 5% more, 10% more. You're going to throw your curveball. And Lance McCullers Jr. has arguably the best curveball in baseball. You know, it's in the conversation. He finished a game against the Yankees. Charlie yep. pitched the first five. Lance pitched the last four. And I think he finished the game with something like 17 straight curveballs. And the point is, emphasize your strength. Ken Giles, the closer who struggled in the postseason, he throws 100 miles an hour, but the league hits 300 off that 100-mile-an-hour fastball. The league does not hit his slider, uh, you know, when it's a good one. It's, it's one of those Brad Lidge-type sliders. Mm-hmm. They hit like 118. So what do you, what, in, a, in a key situation, what are you going to do? Now, you do have to reverse that, and, you, you know, you have to – Stan, let me just say one thing about pace of play. Yeah. One of the things that's causing the games to be so slow is the paranoia, and especially in the postseason. The Astros got to the point where Brian McCann was almost walking to the mound to give the signs, and that's because you don't know who knows what. You don't know where the cameras are, the microphones are, anything. And, uh, and uh, you know, the players and owner and Rob Manfred are going to meet next week, but part of that is in this technology-driven age that is, you know, teams are embracing these analytics, the launch angle, get the ball in the air, that's how you make your money, all that stuff. It's, it's, it's complicated. Stealing signs is more complicated. Are more, there are more ways to steal signs than there's ever been before, and I don't know how you get around that. But, but in, in one way, I hear you, with, if it slows down to the paranoia, there's more time to steal the signs. If you move at a crisper pace, right, that it lessens the time. Yeah. yeah, you know, and the Red Sox got in trouble for having the, um, was it an, um, somebody watching video back in the hallway, relayed mm-hmm. to a guy with an Apple Watch, uh, relayed to, I guess, a coach, then to the batter. Well, you know what? That's like, uh, you know, teenagers spreading gossip. By the time it gets to the hitter, you don't know what you know. You got to be careful. And you know, there were players. I think Eddie Murray was one, as I remember. Don't t- I don't want to know that stuff. But of course, Eddie was different. See ball, yeah. hit ball. You know, he was at, he was in a different level. Yeah. So Justin, um, how you hit hitters? You know wh- what you do, what you have done in the past, how we evaluate you, and all of that. They were recruiting a guy once, and uh, uh, and the guy said. Uh, can I see my scouting report on you, uh, on me, your scouting report on me? And and they showed it to him, and uh, he didn't sign yeah, with that's him. Interesting. So he, that's interesting. He knew how he was going to get pitched. But, you know, if you execute the pitch, it doesn't really matter. Hey, and uh, I think about a guy like Clemens, it, it, what Clemens would have done with this stuff. Yeah. He would have he eaten it up, and he might have won 30 games a couple of times. Hey, Richard, it's uh, Bonza. Um I you mentioned pace of play, and obviously that was a hot topic back when there were rumors about the uh, putting a runner on second in the tenth right. inning and such. And personally, I'm not a fan of uh, doing something like that. But you brought up a good point, and I did notice during the World Series, it just seemed like every three or four pitches there was always a meeting at the mound, and right. it would always it's almost kind of like a buzzkill. And you could hear it with the fans as well, especially when the opponent team, the road team, is the one doing the mound visits. It's just a shower of booze. 
Do right. you think they should reduce the amount of meetings they have at the mound? Because I think that would be a good way, especially in the playoffs, to help speed the pace of play. Because only one time do I remember a game really going less than three hours, and that was game one of the World Series. Right, when, when Clayton was so dominant. Right. Um, that is, you know, these are things. Like, I know what the commissioner wants to do. We all do. He wants to put the pitch clock in. Yeah. Right. And uh, it worked well at AA, AAA, scouts. Stan, I know you talked to a lot of guys. Yeah. The guys that were in the Arizona Fall League say, after, like, 20 minutes, the pitch clock disappears, and you, you don't even know it's there. Yeah. And then you leave the game, and you thought, dang, that did have a better cri- a crisper pace. And you've, I've seen it with guys, especially when the Oakland A's call up young pitcher, I noticed this. Oakland just happened to be the team I've noticed. Their pitchers worked at a much better clip, mm-hmm. a much better clip. And uh, But on the other hand, if you've got David Price or Justin Verlander or, you know, and I think Scherzer works at a pretty good pace. Yeah. But if but if you've got a, an established guy that is deliberate in how he does things, you're going to say you've got to change everything. Now, I've asked people, I've asked players like Aaron Boone and all, and they said, hey, they – Everybody will adjust. And what Commissioner Manfred has to sell is this is in the best interest of the game. I really don't think it impacts. You know, I, it may get people, normal fan, uh, fans of that are not fans of those two teams to turn off the TV. But I don't think it I, – I think it just increases the tension. I don't think, I don't think Astros fans they, – they, they sat through a five-hour and 17-minute World Series game – I don't think one of them were complaining. Now, if they'd lost the Fair game, point. <laughs> lost the game, pace of play would have been the first thing. Well, <laughs> you know, when you talk pace of play to me, I begin and end with the umpires. And, and I really think we're coming in the next couple of years, there's going to be an electronic uh, home plate ball and strike umpire. Well, that's a... Uh... I know that's a game changer in a lot of ways, but, you know, right. video was, and I think people have overall, they've embraced video. They like they like having things precisely drawn. You know, I, I right. just think it's there. It's it's there, and it's better for the game. And Jim Leland said he would always get so annoyed when an umpire would go. Guys throwing a 96, 90, let's say a 92-mile-an-hour slider or a 97-mile-an-hour. What was it? Wade Davis has thrown a 100-mile-an-hour cutter. Right. <laughs> and the umpire would go, oh, Jimmy, just, you know, is just it, mess. inch off the corner. Yeah, there. inch off the <laughs> and corner. And he's going, you can't see it. I can't see it. The hitter can't see it. Don't tell me it was an inch off the corner. And the 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 point of that would be that the stuff is amazing now. You know, I don't know that Walter Johnson and when Walter Johnson pitched, if there was anything called a cutter. I think Sandy Koufax threw. What did he throw? A, a hard curveball. Yeah, he was in a fastball. Yep. And uh, you know, and he threw a curveball that was a gigantic curveball, like Clayton Kershaw throws in a hard one. I, there are pitches now. I mean, well, when, when did the slider come? When was the slider born? You know, yeah. Earl used to scream about the slider. And I did, my point is, is that the stuff is the pitchers are so good now. I don't know how you differentiate from balls and strikes, and it's some of what where the catcher sets up. You know, that's why the Stan the Cubs had a meeting a couple of years ago among all their baseball staff. They brought all the scouts in. Do we want our catcher to be a pitch blocker or a pitch? Framer, mm-hmm. you know, in other words, steel strikes, and uh, and, uh, and what they vote for? Yeah, they voted oh well for I framing don't know what the, for framing. I don't know what the scouts voted for? Yeah, overwhelmingly. They said because a pitch blocker, 
impacts how many pitches a game? Yes. Five, five six, to ten, seven. Two, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, but a pitch framer. Now you're talking 50, 60, 70 pitches. You win games. Catchers who can frame pitches can steal strikes for their pitchers, win games. And I've had guys, um, I think Terry Kennedy, a Cub Scout, you remember he pitched, played for the, for the Orioles. He was the only he, Oriole to attend Edward Bennett Williams' funeral. Right. He told me he's gone back and looked at video of certain catchers, and I can't remember who it is. It's somebody prominent in the game. And he says, I, I swear to God, I cannot steal. I cannot see the guy's glove move, and yet I know he's stealing strikes for, the, for his pitcher. He goes, it's, it's, there's such an art to, to that that, um, that that's, it's unappreciated of how important it is to the game. Now, you, I'm not a big fan of the robotic eye. I know Stan is a big advocate for it, but I'll be honest. I don't know if I notice it more because it is the postseason and every pitch counts, but the strike zone overall during the month of October was just atrocious to me. I don't know if you saw it the same way, Richard. Well, um, it's every night. Mm-hmm. Every night. I think the biggest complaint players have is with the strike ball strike zone call. And you see umpires get, I mean, you see players get frustrated, pitchers get frustrated, hitters get frustrated. And Maybe it's not that I don't know that umpires are doing a better job. I think they do a great job, but because of this, you know, Fox now has this slow motion camera, yeah. and I think, well, I think Masson may have it. Too. I don't know if Masson has it, but a lot of the regional sports carriers have it, and it just. How would you like to work in a job where every mistake yeah. is is sliced open right. to see? And again, the movement on the pitches is is different than we've ever had before in the history of the game. I nope. mean. Nestor Shylock, Doug Harvey. Yeah. Doug, try to call Mariano Rivera's cutter. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, I, I, I go back, though, to it almost as an economical decision, though, at a certain point in time. I can't, I can't tell you if a, if a pitcher only has so many bullets in his arm, I, I just I hate when I have to see Ooh. a pitcher labor 20 or 30 extra pitches because one was mistakenly called well, well, at a key know, moment in time. Stan, uh, we would poke fun at Ray Miller for saying this. Yeah. But after Flanny or, or McGregor games, he would say, you know, really it was one pitch. And that's true. I, yeah. I always had NBA coaches would tell me, you give me two rebounds during the game, mm-hmm. and I can win the game. Unbelievable. Key, and, but, but in that case, I, I guarantee Palmer would say that. Two pitches, you give me two calls, at a, at a key point, and I'm going to win. The, it's going to turn the game. And, hey, and Rich. players have never, I, you know, I, I said to Fernando Rodney one time, I said, I don't know how you kept your composure out there. <laughs> I mean, he got he got squeezed in a couple of games, uh, one game I remember. And uh, he goes, <laughs> he looked at me and goes, are you kidding? What choice do I have? They will run me out of the game. <laughs> hey, let me throw about five topics at you, quick answers, okay? All right. Why did Joe Girardi get fired? Uh, communication with the players, mm-hmm. communication with the front office, and the, I think the number one thing is they felt they needed a different voice for this young generation of Yankees. You have to – player relationships are the most important thing a manager does right now. How about uh, J.D. Martinez? Where does he end up? said San Francisco since day one, but the only offer appears to be Boston. I know he doesn't want a DH, 
but in that outfield, you're not going to play the outfield. So it's Scott Boris. We never know. I just still think the San Francisco Giants make the most sense. Was was it right for the Major League Baseball owners to allow Derek Jeter's group to end up with the team when they, they, they had to have known that they were going to have to make those kind of substantive cuts? Baseball wanted Derek Jeter in the game. Yeah. And that's the bottom line as far as all – I would say it's important to give him a chance. I know some of the baseball ops people very well. And they say nice things. But, you know, what you want and what you, you've had a battered fan base yep. there. And, and they deserve better. And so now you're tearing it down again. I mean, they've been through this too many times. You know, people say, well, South Florida's not a good baseball town. We don't know that. Yep. Miami's a huge, huge city with a diverse population and a population with a Latino culture of people who have baseball in their background. But when you basically hang a sign out saying, please don't come see these games, these right. this team play, they're probably not going to show up. So my, I'm gonna, just going to say I'm going to give Derek Jeter every chance to succeed, uh, but no one likes to see players like this traded. Where will Buck Showalter and Dan Duquette be when the 2019 <laughs> season starts? I think Buck will be in Baltimore. I don't know the role. Um, and I think... That, this is the know. tricky one. Yeah. Well, what I hope is that they work it out. Yeah, I, I agree because I think Dan's been a really great good. Together. They are great together. Yep. And, I, and if it were up to me, I would give them, I would tell them, okay, now I know you guys disagree on some things, but that's okay. Every general manager, every manager disagrees on things. we got to work together. And I would just say, let's give Dan, you know, not 100% decision-making authority, but as much as any owner could turn a franchise over to his guy. Here in Houston, you can ask the owner about certain things you're talking about, and he won't even know. I mean, he trusts Jeff Luno to, to run it. Now, I'm, I'm not saying you don't want to – you have to make a guy justify it and explain what he's doing, and the guy should be able to do that. Um, I, I don't know. I hope right. they work it out. Shohei Otani, what kind of season does he have? Ten wins, 20 homers. Okay. Somebody said in the I was on Jody McDonald's show on WFAN last week. He goes, he goes, ten wins, twenty five homers. He goes, that's the American League MVP. I said, <laughs> well, it might be, but he's going to have to beat out his teammate there. Yeah, <laughs> um, Manny Machado. Where does he start? And, and by the way, that changes the game forever. Yeah, if he can do this, it hasn't been done in ninety nine years. Yep. Babe Bruce last year in Boston, and you know the Rays used the fourth or fifth pick in the draft on a kid that did both this past year. Brendan McKay from Louisville. And teams, you know, scouts always argue, is he a hitter or a pitcher? We, we can't figure it out because they do both in college. Well, maybe we have to take another, another approach. Ha- My ki- kid here from the, where I live, Brett Eibner, the Dodgers, sent him down to learn how to pitch again. He pitched at Arkansas and played center field. He blew out his arm, but when he comes back next year, they're still hoping he can be two roster spots. All right. And, you know, Where- and he's, he's thrilled to do it because it's the big leagues. You know, the Rays, everybody thinks, you know, the Rays said to Ben Zobers, you can go back down and play shortstop, or you can come up here and have five different gloves. He goes, hmm, I think I'll take the five gloves. Right, right. Manny Machado, where's he end up in 2018 and 19? Um, I, w- 
I'm going to say. I'm asking uh, the, the tough Yankees. stuff. I'm going to say the Yankees in 19. I don't know about 18. All right, Richard. Really appreciate your being on, and uh, I know you'll pass along your condolences to Craig uh, at the appropriate time. Thank you very much for uh, joining us. All right. Thank you. Give my best to Marty. Okay. Thank you. Thank All you, right. Dan. Thank you. There he is, Richard. Richard Justice. Richard Justice. Am I on the air? Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. sound okay. I'm not hearing myself. All right. Uh, Richard Justice joins us, and uh, we'll take a break, and then we're going to be joined for the last segment on the show by Andy Barons of Yahoo Sports. We'll be right back after this. How can you make a sunny beach with great music, great food, and a great cause even better? Just have honor. Join us on Saturday, January 27th, for the Maryland State Police Polar Fair Front at Any Point State Park. My name is Carmen, and your support helps me achieve my dreams of being a greater part of my community through sport. Go to plungemd.com to sign up today. Proudly sponsored by Aerotech, New Day USA, St. John Properties, Flying Dog, and Zest. What we do with our lives defines us. So consider a path that gives you an array of opportunities for your future. The U.S. Army gives you skills and experiences that make you a well-rounded person. With many ways to serve that align with your goals, you'll become a stronger individual. Find out more at GoArmy.com. You may qualify for up to a $40,000 signing bonus. Start your future today at www.goarmy.com slash football. There's strong, then there's Army strong. Paid for by the United States Army. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, a touching family story for the holidays as Bo Smolka profiles Raven safety Eric Weddle, a man whose family and faith are every bit the priority that football is. Plus, 10 questions with Ravens cornerback Brandon Carr and much more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The Parexcel Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square can cater your holiday party, and now you can order the catering trays and delivery online. Go to Chick-fil-A.com and select Nottingham Square as your store and place your order. Did you know that Chick-fil-A offers the Grilled Chicken Bundle, a catering tray where everyone can build their own grilled chicken sandwich? Plus, Chick-fil-A offers chicken nugget catering trays with up to 200 nuggets per tray and chicken strip trays with up to 75 chicken strips. Call Steve at the Nottingham Square Chick-fil-A. You can pick it up or he'll bring it to you. That's 410-931-0031. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at facebook.com slash pressboxsports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I fit, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand for me why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Well, okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. 
how does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash Pressbox Sports. And welcome back to the Battle Round on this Saturday, January 6th, uh, 2018. <laughs> I All keep right, going we, back. We know it's your birthday, Stan. I keep, I keep going back to the year I was born. <laughs> I don't know why. Hey, joining us now is somebody that we uh, sought out to have on our program last week, and because of some un, uh, crazy circumstances, we didn't make the air last week. He joins us today from Yahoo Sports. That is Andy Barons. Andy, thank you for coming on. Uh, thanks for having me. I know I'm on the right show because I, I too, am living in the past. So I, I think uh, I think this will go well. well. I started the show by by uh, saying it was January 6, 1952, because that was my birthday. <laughs> that was the day I was born. Uh, so I was only uh, 66 years uh, removed from the actual day. Hey, uh, we wanted to have you on because there's an inter- fascinating topic that's brewing um, and, and I'm not sure, are you a fantasy only writer for Yahoo or just a sports writer for Yahoo? Um, you know what? I primarily write, uh, fantasy. I have, uh, I have at times, uh, usually when other folks are occupied with, you know, world cup or Olympics or something like that, I've, I, I will dive into, uh, the regular sports writing, game at uh at yahoo sports but primarily i'm uh I, I fantasy. baseball and football yeah this this shohai otani situation is really fascinating because we just had richard justice on from mlb.com and we weren't talking from a fantasy perspective but he said this is a game changer if this guy comes in and is able to pitch at a high level and hit at a high level hasn't been yeah. done since babe ruth left the game yeah, and that is not hyperbole, right? Yep. Like, like, literally, in the entire history of professional baseball, um, there is a single season, a single individual season, in which a player has achieved 10 pitching wins and hit at least 10 home runs, and that was Babe Ruth in 1918. Wow. It, it has not happened in any other major league season. Um, you can name a bunch of guys mm-hmm. who, were, who were pretty good two-way players, Generally speaking, for every generation, like literally for every generation, there's one pitcher who's a competent major league hitter. You know, it was Mike Hampton, it was Don Drysdale, it was Wes Farrell back in the 30s. It is not something that comes up. It is not a thing that happens. I mean, it's one thing to be good at this in high school, even in the low minors. It's quite another thing to be to be a, a, like a starting quality hitter and pitcher at the major league level. It just simply doesn't happen. You know, it's interesting. We had Dan O'Dowd on uh, from MLB.com, uh, MLB Television, and he used to be the general manager of the Colorado Rockies. I've known him since he worked on the business side of baseball for the Baltimore Orioles back in the 80s. Uh, and Dan said his prediction was, I think this guy can be a great pitcher, a starting pitcher, or a great everyday player hitter, but I don't think he can do both great. Uh, where do you come out on that before we really dabble into the, the fantasy realm? Well, that's you know that perspective is much more consistent with what you would expect um, almost any team to determine about almost any player, just as a uh, on a developmental level, it's 
very common again for guys to come out of high school. You know, I, people who are people who are eventual major leaguers when they're in high school, they they can do everything, right? Like there's a, you hear of a lot of guys. You know, Dave Winfield was this kind of prospect. <laughs> Dave Kingman was this kind of prospect. I think back in the day, like this just happens. There's guys who are dominant pitchers, dominant hitters at like a prep level. And then even when they're really good at the, in the low minors, uh, there's a kid right now, Brendan McKay, with the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, the organization is probably going to make a decision eventually whether they want him to throw himself into you know becoming a position player, becoming a pitcher, um, just because it's that hard. You know, it is it is that difficult to develop that way. Now, in Otani's case, we can look at his numbers, and again, he's coming over pretty young for a Japanese prospect. Yep. So what he was doing at age 20 21 that was that was pretty close to in line with the numbers that you darvish was putting up at a at a more advanced age um and at the again at the same level so we can we can reasonably expect otani to be i think at least assuming he's healthy a darvish level starting pitcher um and he had a higher strikeout rate than darvish as well um we don't we we don't have quite as much, you know, he, as a hitter, um, we have a couple of partial seasons that are really promising, where he where he, he's hit in the in the neighborhood of 320. He's gotten himself on base um, over 40 percent of the time. He's hit with some power. We we know that when he really gets a hold of a ball, it can go a long way. Like he has serious power. Um, we have fewer plate appearances from him as a hitter, and it is a it is a very difficult adjustment for him from the quality of pitching that he's been facing in Japan to the quality of what he'll see as a major leaguer. Um, so I am, I guess I'm a little bit less optimistic that he can be a star as a, as mm-hmm. a position player or a hitter in the near term. Um, I feel much more confident in saying that he's going to be a, a high level quality major league starter. How, this is Bonza, by the way, how important is it to kind of temper the expectations for Otani? You know, I know he's been extremely hyped up like no other player in recent memory has been, but how important is it for people, especially like the team, the coaches, to kind of temper down the expectations because the MOB is a baseball league like no other? Yeah, I mean, this stuff is hard, right? Um, There is is a certain history of, um, and again, some of this is the age at which the players come over. But there has been a there has been a history, particularly with pitchers coming over from Japan, where their first season is is sometimes often their best season right. that they ever have in the big leagues. Right? Um, there's not there's not the same level of scouting detail on these guys, and especially the first time that they go through the league, it's it can just almost be unfair. Um, so the the thing to watch with these guys is what happens when teams are seeing them for the second and third time. How dominant is their stuff then? Um, but I, I think, again, I think he's going to be really good right away. I think there's going to be a much steeper learning curve for him as a hitter facing a quality of pitcher that he's just never encountered before. Um, but I, I, I feel really good. At, you know, there, there's this there's this thing with Otani um, that we have to deal with. Uh, there, there's a his elbow uh, may or may not have some issues, right? right? Like that. Those reports came out shortly after the Angels signed him. Um, there's some level of UCL damage there. Um, it, he's he's received uh, PRP treatment for it. So we have to assume that he's you know all the teams saw his medicals and all all the teams were still in on him. So I, I assume he's going to be okay. That is a small hiccup. That is something that we have to worry about. But uh, I, you know, at some level, it's also no fun to temper our expectations, right? Like this is a <laughs> yeah. 
This is a really exciting player, and if he can actually pull this off, if he can actually be a competent major league hitter while also being a star pitcher, that's, again, that's just something that is so historically rare as to not even, I mean, it doesn't yeah. even exist in living memory. Babe Ruth did this in 1918, and it hasn't happened since. You know, it's interesting. I, uh, I, I know Cal Ripken was a two-way player all the way through high school and was thought to be uh, an excellent pitching prospect for the major leagues. Uh, the Orioles ended up solo shooting him into playing uh, the field. I remember Nick Markakis was a tremendous high school pitcher, and Josh Hamilton was an incredible high school pitcher. Uh, it's not that rare that the best pitchers in, in Little League, Pony League, and and high school uh, are the best athletes are, are good at both of those things. What is it about the, the game that, that you think has diverted these talents to you only can be great at one thing. Um, some some of this, I think, is the the general mindset um, throughout Major League Baseball that that you know. Well, I mean, we are just in an age of specialization, right? An extreme specialization. Mm-hmm. You know, most most of us, you know, you're you're born in the fifties. I'm born in the seventies. I I I came up watching you know pitchers who would go nine innings, pitchers who would go three hundred innings a year. Um, and we've gotten we've gotten deep into um, you know we have pitching special specialists for all situations we don't like you know we don't like to see pitchers go through a batting order like a third time a fourth time now yep. it's just a different era than it was 30 40 years ago so um, and, and the game the game is extremely hard and it's it's so rare for anybody again to advance even to a higher minor league level at, at which they're they're actually still pitching and hitting um the game is just the game is just too darn hard um so from a developmental standpoint if you just want to get a kid to the major league and that clock is ticking you know as soon as he signs that first pro contract um teams are going to want him to choose a path it's just so difficult to be ready to be a major league contributor um, yep. in multiple areas. All right. Now we've talked about in glowing terms of him as a player. He is, he is having an effect on fantasy baseball that is really quite fascinating. And I would hope, uh, and, and I'll, at the end of our conversation, Andy, I'll bring, I'll bring you to attention to how our league has handled it because it's a vastly different than most leagues where he is not owned by anybody going into the 2018 season already. So tell our audience what the dynamics are in play with, with him and how he's affecting fantasy baseball. Yeah, this is a, this is a tough one. And I, I can speak, um, I can speak well to the, for the, for the Yahoo perspective, right? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure how other fantasy providers are how their games are built and how they're going to be able to handle this player. I, I will say that from Yahoo's perspective, it, it is really tough because the game, when, our game, when it was built, did not anticipate that sort of player. We've talked about right. how rare he is historically, how there hasn't been a guy like this in literally 100 years. Um, our game was built with the idea that a player would be either a pitcher or a hitter, and there would be no such thing as somebody who was, who was going to get both hitting stats and pitching stats. So the the different ways that fantasy providers, as I understand it, are handling this, um, in Yahoo's case, we're actually creating two separate player IDs. We're creating a pitcher version of Otani and a hitter version of Otani. 
So in our public game, in the in the game that you can just, you know, you're a casual mm-hmm. fantasy player, you want to come to Yahoo Fantasy Sports and sign up for a league in the public game, it, it is true that you like two different teams can own Otani. Um, right. One owner can own his pitching stats, one owner can own his hitting stats. Now, this is really easy to handle. If you're in a private league that is already set up on Yahoo, there are plenty of workarounds for your commissioner to assign both versions of Otani to the same team. Um, it is easily handled. But in the public game, again, there's two different Otanis. I, I think what a lot of fantasy players would like to see is a single version of Otani who is eligible both at starting pitcher or you could switch him over to um, like a utility role where you get his hitting stats on a given day. Right. I, I just want people to understand that that in and, and this, hey, I'm not on the engineering team. I'm not a programmer, but I, I interact with those guys pretty regularly. And as I understand that, it is exponentially more hard for us to do that than it, than it is for us to create a second player ID. Um, Correct. Yeah. To the point that if we were to say we wanted to change the game so that Otani could be both a starting pitcher and a hitter on that on that one ID, it would basically be an all hands on deck situation for our programmers, for our engineers. And so now we have, you know, now we're basically rebuilding the game in many aspects. Um, to basically, just to just to solve one problem for one individual player in fantasy baseball. And and it would become a, a tremendous uh, investment of, of pers- like personnel resources. Yep. And we pr- and it would probably delay the launch of the game too. So you know we'll see how this plays out in the first year. But the decision that we've made at least for now is that we're going to roll with two separate two Otani, separate Otani. See what this first year looks like. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Uh, you know, on a, on a, on another basis that fans might understand this, uh, casual fantasy fans is if you take the best offensive player, and let's explain it to our audience, that you have $260 to build your entire roster, and players that you might get for $5 may play to where they're worth $30 or $40 in the value that they've accumulated. They still only cost you $5. The, the issue, as I see it, is Mike Trout or Jose Altuve would be $45 to $48 value. And, and yep. worth that much. But if you add up the best Otani as a starting pitcher and the best Otani as an offensive player, you'd be looking at a player that could be value over $70 worth of value. That would throw out the competitive balance in 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 these fantasy leagues. Yeah, it's it's absolutely insane. Again, you know, we keep saying it. We've never seen a player like this. If he's merely... Um and, I, and again, I don't know what he's going to be as a hitter, but let's yep. just say um, he comes close to what we think his ceiling might be in his first year, and he's able to hit, I don't know, 275. He's got 20 home run power. He actually has great speed, but it seems silly for the Angels to actually use him on the base paths a whole lot. But right. let's just say he can be like a three-category fantasy player as a hitter, and uh, you know, in a four-category fantasy player as a pitcher, there's in the entire history of fantasy baseball, whatever, going back to the late '70s, there's never been any such thing as a as a player who contributes in more than five categories, right? It just doesn't happen. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, this doesn't this doesn't exist. So if you if you could actually get all that in a single player ID, of course that guy should be the number one pick in your draft, right? There's there's almost no path for Mike Trout, Mike freaking Trout, to be even as valuable as a guy who's an elite starting pitcher and a very good hitter. I mean, that's, that has just simply never existed. Um, 
getting back to my league, and I want to explain something. I've played fantasy baseball for 35-plus 35, 35 years most fantasy leagues are either an American League only or a National League only, and there's a reason for that that I could explain at a more intense level at some point in time. But our league has been American League only, and for some reason when we get to the ultra round after our auction where teams rapid fire pick their 13 reserve players, we have not allowed you in the American League only to pick a player that you think might get traded over by the National League, but mm. we do allow you to take disabled players, semi-retired players, and players from Japan. I was the first <laughs> I was the first player that ever came up with this idea and nobody ever said, "Hey, wait a minute, this is a bad idea." So I took Robinson Checo about 15 years ago. I took you, Darvish, about eight years ago. I took Masahiro Tanaka. This is when they were still in Japan. And I got them all the year later. This year, I did not elect to take Otani. Somebody did. And in Ultra, your Ultra players, their their salary value is $5. So the team that was in first place traded Otani to another team that team now has him for $5, and we are all jumping around trying to put Pandora's box back in the box. We've got, <laughs> we've got a crazy situation here, and the team that traded for him is taking the position, what are you talking about, two Otanis? We got Otani for $5, and we were the ones that had the foresight to trade for him. Uh, and I really can't come up with a great argument to disagree with them, and I think we're entering into some negotiations, and I think they're willing, provided we don't fool around with it for this year, they're willing to say, we'll do the right thing after year one if it's really that big a problem. Yeah, this is this is a tough one, and I at least on Yahoo's platform, I think the I think this simple workaround for private leagues like this this seems like a heavily custom league obviously you've got this reserve draft yeah. that's yeah. 13 players deep rosters and all that in in private leagues like this it's going to actually be easier for commissioners because you can simply you know you can simply assign the hitting version of Otani to the same team right you can juggle around the number of roster spots in order to accommodate the extra guy um, there are ways that you can fit you know both player IDs onto one roster. I don't think it's going to be as much of a deal. I, you know, I, I do think if you're if you're looking for the experience where you have like the, the one Otani who can toggle back and forth between pitching and hitting, in our in our public league game, it's it's going to be a far greater problem than it will in in private leagues. Yeah, it's it's really quite fascinating. Um, I, I am I am much in favor. A couple of our our teams think this is going to give that team. Such an unbelievable competitive advantage, and I'm saying, let's hold our horses for one year and and see what happens. The one thing we're all agreed upon is that the day he pitches as a starting pitcher and you designate him as a pitcher, you can't get both his pitching stats that day and let's say he hits two home runs if he if he if they don't play the DH and they bat him as the pitcher. We're all in agreement on that. 
Yeah, this is a it's it's funny since ever since Yahoo announced that we would go with the with the two player IDs, we have had a small. It's not a lot of people, but I, I see them on social media, and I, I've seen them reach out uh, uh, through various means to our product team. We do have people who are lobbying for this idea that all uh, hitting stats should count for pitchers. Uh-huh. That, that might be a solution. But that's only going to inflate Otani's value yeah. because he's going to be so much better yeah. as a hitter. This is why I thought he might actually go to the National League. Yeah. Um, because not only would he get to face opposing um, pitchers, you know, uh, when when he's on the mound, but they also have to hit, and he's he's going to be. So, I don't know that he's going to be, you know, as good of a hitter as the average major league outfielder, let's say. But I do know that he's going to be a hell of a lot better than. Every yeah. uh, starting pitcher, <laughs> no question about right it. Right now, it would just give him such a ridiculous thing. I'll tell you, it's interesting, and I'll close with this. And I really appreciate your coming on, Andy. Um, when I had Dan O'Dowd on, I said, in listening to you, Dan, where you don't think he can be great at both, wouldn't it make more sense to almost play him and and, and get him used to playing the outfield and play him as an outfielder or a first baseman? Uh, just about every day, and then in the seventh or eighth inning, if you need an out or two, bring him in as a, not necessarily the closer, but as a super relief pitcher to get one or two key outs, uh, then let him go back out in the field. I, you know what, I actually think that's a wonderful idea, because yeah. he is a hard thrower, yeah. um, and, and as we've we've learned over the years, you know, guys like that, you know, maybe he throws 95 when he's a starting pitcher. A guy like that can come in and give you 98 uh, as a reliever, and then of course he can go right back to the he can go right back to the outfield. He can go right back to his regular position. Yeah. It, it all comes down to how ready he is um, to be to be great yep. as a hitter in the major league. Again, I think I think the entire league is confident that he's going to be a very strong starting pitcher. The the big open question is whether the bat is going to translate at a at a starting quality level. Yep. Um, it is a it is a really fun riddle though. Hey, Bonza has one more question, and we'll let you get out of here. And appreciate it again. Yeah. Um. Based off of Stan's idea, does it worry you about the fact that let's say Otani does pitch as hard as he can and then goes to the outfield? Will it affect his performance in the outfield if he has to make let's say a big throw from right field? to home plate or something like that? Is that a concern? Um, well, it, this this is mostly the reason why we, we don't expect him to play in the field very yeah, much if he's right. actually going to be. I mean, I mean, he probably should be a starting pitcher, right? Like, everybody yeah. expects that mm-hmm. he can come in and be a, a close-to-dominant starting pitcher right now. And, and that's why we don't expect um, the Angels to ask him to actually go to right field or anything like that and, and stress his arm with, you know, long throws. That's why we don't think they're going to really let him run on the bases all that much, even though he's apparently blindingly fast. <laughs> he's hmm. just a terrific Boy, athlete. that's amazing, he's probably, yeah. Yeah, he's probably one of the top ten athletes in, in Major League Baseball right now. He has every tool. Um, I, I, I love the idea of him being a relief ace who just gets the two or three most important outs, uh, you know, maybe two out of every three games, something like that. Mm-hmm. I love that idea. I don't, I don't think it's what we're going to see right away. And, and because we're, because they're going to deploy him as a starter until he proves, you know, that he physically can't handle it. Um, I, I don't expect we'll see him in the, in the field very much at all. All right. As events warrant, we may reach out to you again as we get closer to the drafts in uh, March. Uh, again, many thanks for coming on and talking about what I think is one of the more fascinating 
baseball stories that's occurred in in 50 years, maybe longer. Oh, I, I really appreciate you guys reaching out to me. It's a pleasure to be on, and I fully agree with you. This uh, Otani is, is a large reason why this is going to be an incredibly fun season. All right. You can read Andy Barron's at yahoosports.com. Appreciate it very much, Andy. Thanks, guys. All right. There you have it. Uh, it is It's qu- quite an amazing topic, isn't it, Bonza? It really is, and I'm really excited to see what happens in 2018 with Otani because we don't know what to expect, honestly, as to what the Angels will do and how he'll perform under the Angels' leadership. It's going to be very interesting. And it's his first year. I mean, maybe you have to give him time because the Major Leagues is a whole nother beast, so it's yet to be seen. All right, we're going to take one final timeout, and we'll come back to wrap up a Saturday show. Thank you. We'll be right back. Coming to the Owings Mills Metro Center soon, Hammer and Nails Grooming Shop for Guys, where they offer hand and foot grooming, barbering, and straight razor shaves, all in a relaxed man cave nirvana. You get your own TV and remote, top-of-the-line noise-canceling headphones, and a complimentary beverage, all while you kick back in a seat that has been custom-crafted with your comfort being the number one priority. Trust me when I say this is a -a one-of-a-kind experience that will have you feeling like a modern-day king. That's Hammer and Nails Grooming Shop for guys coming soon to the Owings Mills Metro Center. Find out more by going to hammerandnailsgrooming.com. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square can cater your holiday party, and now you can order the catering trays and delivery online. Go to Chick-fil-A.com and select Nottingham Square as your store and place your order. Did you know that Chick-fil-A offers the grilled chicken bundle? A catering tray where everyone can build their own grilled chicken sandwich? Plus, Chick-fil-A offers chicken nugget catering trays with up to 200 nuggets per tray and chicken strip trays with up to 75 chicken strips. Call Steve at the Nottingham Square Chick-fil-A. You can pick it up or he'll bring it to you. That's 410-931-0031. The Parexcel Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. Full Circle Tire and Auto would like to thank the Harford County Sheriff's Department and the Baltimore County and Baltimore City Police Departments. Any active or retired employee can receive 8.75% off up to $100 on any service. We are proud to serve you. Thank you for serving us. The deal lasts through January 31st, and that's Full Circle Tire and Auto at 410-676-CARS. That's 410-676-2277 at 1304 Governor's Court, Suite 110 in Abingdon, Maryland. Full Circle Tire and Auto.com. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KO from the Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer. 
the the other type of football. No, no, we don't. We don't. No. Never. No. Yeah, not really. Tennis. No. Nope. Rugby. Nope. No. Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College. College football. football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon. Press box fantasy and reality football show. Great music, great food, and a great cause. For an even better time, just add water. Water from the Chesapeake Bay at Sandy Point State Park. My name is Michael Hape, and I am an athlete with Special Mix Maryland. Your support helps me achieve my dreams of being a greater part of my community through sports. Choose to plunge at the Maryland State Police Public Plunge on January 27th. Go to PlungeMD.com to sign up today. Proudly sponsored by New Day USA, St. John Properties, Aerotech, and Kelly Generators. We are back on the uh, bat around for a few final words on today's programs. And if Baltimore Oriole baseball fans are anxious to see Shohei Otani live and in person, Bonza, they will be able to do so on Friday, June 29th, Saturday, June 30th, and Sunday, July the 1st. That's when the Orioles play the Angels? That's when they play them here in Baltimore. And now I'm looking to see if I can equally quickly find when we play hold on let's see if it's in august or september when we go out there Hmm. uh it's not in august let's see if it's in september if not i wasn't looking for the road um not in september do you think the angels can really be a playoff contender this year yes i do i i think especially if they get back a couple uh healthy pitchers like garrett richards uh, and and the like, I think they have a chance. Because last year you were talking about how they were just not a good team, and now they made a bunch of different acquisitions. Well, they they picked up Justin Upton at the very end of last year, and now re-upped him. They've added, re-upped. I see what you did there. They've at re-upped. Him, yeah. <laughs> they've added um, Ian Kinsler to play one year at second base. Yeah. They've signed uh, Cozart, Zach Cozart to, to play, play third. third base, and they've gotten Shohei Otani. They also picked up in a small trade the first one they made of the offseason with the uh, Atlanta Braves. They picked up Jim Johnson to fortify, you know, to give them somebody that has closing experience but that also can be a sixth or seventh inning guy in the bullpen as well. By the way, Oriole baseball fans will get to see him on Masson much sooner than that. The Orioles play the Angels on um, May the 1st, May the 2nd, and May the 3rd. Oh, three straight nights. Very games. close. Very okay. close. So hmm. uh, we'll look forward to seeing Shohei Otani perhaps as soon as May 1st, 2nd, or 3rd, maybe start a game against the Orioles yeah. and maybe start a, as a DH in another. Uh, it's going to be so exciting. All right. Happy, healthy New Year to you, Bonza. Again, you our too. condolences. Uh, Bonza and I send out our condolences to our friend Craig Heist, who tragically lost his brother passed away overnight um and uh we hope uh, all of you have a great new year ahead and uh, stay warm out there okay